gathered together from the cosmic reaches of the universe, here in this great hall of justice. The superheroes have to be around other superheroes. You know what I mean? That's the hall of justice is more about them just commiserating about their powers and less about them like actually fighting crime. Seth Everett is the best there is at what he does, Bob. And what he does is the Hall of Justice Podcast. Hey everyone, welcome to another edition of the Hall of Justice. This is episode 174, and it's our first episode in March. We have big plans for March, and hopefully, rain or shine, we will get to put everything together and give you some great podcasts to listen to. I have raved about this show in the past. I have said it. I have tried to tell other people to watch it. I have recommended it. I was entranced. It was it was on Amazon Prime, and it was a bingeable show. And I don't have a lot of bingeable shows. I like to watch them ste- slow and steady, if you know what I mean. The Man in the High Castle. Um. It, it, it's just a, it's a fascinating show. Now, to join us for this review of that show, I went on social media and I said, did anybody see every episode? Like, did anybody do it? And I got like seven responses. And one of the responses is a guy who I've been an admirer of. And we're using this podcast as an excuse to hang out together. And that is Mike Avila. Now, Mike has worked on many different projects and he we're going to get his entire career all put together and we're going to you know see everything but he is the author of this amazing book called The Man in the High Castle Creating the Alt World it's a behind the scenes look at the show we're trying to review i mean is there a made for hall of justice guest in this oh my goodness welcome mike avila mike thank you so much for doing this man hey pleasure to be here man thanks for having me this is it was kismet so you saw the tweet and you're like is that the first time you saw somebody say hey did anybody ever see that show it was such a random yeah. spontaneous thing yeah really it was it was it was it was super fun and we had a good time and you wrote this book so before we get to man in the high castle tell our audience a little bit about your background and what you're doing and all the amazing things you're at every comic con you're you're all over the place capsulize it for us <laughs> sure i mean well in my previous life i was a, a tv news producer for just about every station in new york city uh, and while i was there uh, I, I did a movie show a long time ago uh, for nbc called uh, real talk with uh, jeffrey lyons and allison bales that was a lot of fun and then i transitioned from there to doing a lot of uh, geek coverage on the side with my production company um, for places like sci-fi and I was uh, I was with Sci-Fi Digital before it was called Sci-Fi Digital when it was mm. called Blaster. And wow. then oh yeah, I remember. Over the, you remember when it was just called Blaster yeah. without yeah, the yeah, e? yeah, yeah. So um, over the years, uh, they, that site's really grown, and I've ended up doing a lot of work for them, um, everything from covering movies and TV to the comics. And I've really become uh, one of their, I guess, quote unquote, comic book folks. Um, and I, I host a, a multi-platform series called Behind the Panel. Uh, which is a video series on YouTube and on Linear. 
I do a, a, a weekly column on sci-fi.com and I also uh, do a, a podcast, which is more of an audio documentary series on comics where I talk to uh, awesome creators and I try oh, I to tell the, the stories behind certain classic comics. And on the side, when I, I'm not playing dad to my two girls, I write books like this one. <laughs> right, and you, wrote, and you wrote this book. Let me ask you, um, what's the podcast called? I love promoting other podcasts. I have this long-term belief that podcasts are unlike radio in that they don't compete. You can download yours, download mine, download this one, download that one, and we share them all alike. And Great tell point. Our, tell our audience, what, what's the podcast and how can people find it? Sure, it's uh, called Behind the Panel. Clever enough, I we use the same name for <laughs> each, uh-huh. each, uh, each platform um, so people can remember it. Uh, it's available anywhere you get your podcast. And, you know, I, I, we did a four-part series last year on the 50th anniversary of Comic-Con. Uh, oh, a, a multi-part series. Yeah. yeah, I did a multi-part series on the history of Batman, which I was very proud of. We talked to all sorts of great creators from the TV show to Batman Historian to Jim Lee and Frank Miller. Uh, some really great folks. We did a great oh, one really with fun. Todd December that if you've ever talked to Todd McFarlane, you know it's like the easiest assignment because he's such a great talker and he's open. Because hold, he's on, hold on, hold and, on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Say, say the Todd McFarlane part. You cut out. So say the Todd McFarlane sure. part again. Go. Uh, we we uh, we did a great uh, episode in in December for the podcast with Todd McFarlane, uh, updating yeah. everybody on on the Spawn comic and the movies and all the toys he's doing for DC. Todd's a great uh, guest on any platform, but especially <laughs> on a podcast. I was yes. very, very proud of that one. He, uh, so, so our, my quick history with Todd McFarlane, uh, he's been on this show, uh, but also uh, back in 2003, I believe, uh, he hosted a radio show on MLB radio. I was working for Major League Baseball at the time. And they partnered us because they knew I had an affinity for this genre and they partnered <laughs> us. And every week I hosted a show with Todd McFarlane on baseball. This is right after he bought the Bonds and Maguire home run balls. And he was in yeah. the news for all that. And we became friends then and, and all over the years. And yeah, that guy can talk. And it was so funny. I just saw him at Toy Fair about a month ago. And well, unless you're listening to this in the future and then, do me a favor let me know how the flying car is um but but just recently we had toy fair and i saw him and my wife works you know she's in licensing so she was roaming you know and and she got me in to see todd and i got in and i said hey todd's around come let's 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 pop in let's say a quick hello and she just looked at me and she goes there is no such thing as a quick hello with Todd McFarlane. You don't see him for, for a minute. You never walk by him and go, hey, man, you good? Okay, bye. Like, it's never that. I think he did 90 minutes. He did 90 minutes on this damn podcast. He was, and I couldn't get him to stop. And I kept thinking to myself, because I'm trying to keep them, you know, relatively short. And sometimes you can't, that's that's impossible. It's impossible to have Todd McFarlane do a short one. And as we're leaving Toy Fair, he goes, when am I coming on your podcast again? And I went, oh my God, here we go. So what I want to do is I'm just going to have, I'm just going to wind him up, let him go. And it'll be a month's worth of episodes. I'll just, I'll take a half hour each one and I'll just, I'll map them out. All right. Um, what tipped you on to the man in the high castle? I, what's, what's your connection? How did you write this book? 
Interestingly enough, I knew about the show. I interviewed um, for it at a New York Comic Con a few years back, just before they launched the pilot. It was an interesting concept. I knew about the book because I'd read it years ago because uh, I was a big Philip K. Dick fan as a right. high school Based kid. on a book, right. Yeah, right. yeah, based on the Philip K. Dick book. Uh, and I interviewed them and then I saw the pilot, liked it, but I, I didn't watch season one right away because I just fall behind on things you know, for, for Inside Editions. And then an editor at Titan Publishing reached out to me and asked me if I wanted to tackle a book on a TV series. When I was interested in doing a TV book as a follow-up to the movie one, just so I could spread out, you, you know, my, my credentials and what, sure, you know, whatnot. Sure. And I said, sure. We negotiated the, the, the rate and, and when it's due and all that, you know, logistical stuff. You get paid no money for these books. So if you think I'm rich, I'm not. <laughs> you do these for the love of, the, of, of writing and, and, and the subject matter. And with that in mind, I said, I agreed. And then we hung up and then I said, oh my God, I emailed her back. And I go, I guess I should ask you what the book is because it, it was embargoed. So she hadn't told me, I go, I guess I should ask you what show I'm going to do the book on. Because if you tell me Supernatural, I'm out. I've never seen one episode and there's like 13 seasons. So I'll never be able <laughs> right. to binge it. And then she laughs and she tells me, I go, no, it's not. It's The Man in the High Castle. And I said, oh, great. Three seasons. And it's a show that I've wanted to see. Now I have a reason. And thankfully, Amazon Prime is really a, a user-friendly platform. So I, I was Very. basically watching them mix between streaming them through my television and on my phone when I, when I travel, because I travel a lot. Right, sure. Um, and it was great. And, and, and if, if you use the, whether on your phone or on, t on your TV, it's really nice to be able to, to rewind certain scenes and freeze frame certain things, because I knew right away, within like three episodes, that the thing that people who would read a book like this would want to know are the little details. You know, what's in the background of the offices? What's, uh, what are the medals? Things like that. So I made notes like that as I went along um, to help me prepare for when I would start doing the interviews. The one thing I take away from the series, and like I said, I've raved about it, is it's sci-fi, but it's so grounded in reality. And in season one, you barely know about any of the, the, the other worlds and any of the things. They, they, don't, they, they really do a great job of world building and the mm -hmm. establishment of what, Nazi, what the Nazi territory is like. And what really floored me was the Japanese uh, when... Frank Frank, who also comes out and they, they kill his 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 sister and her children. And it's it, it's it's amazing. Like, it's so shocking. And again, where's the title from? And what is the what is the the sci fi part of it? And that's the amazing thing to me was that they do such an amazing job of not getting sci fi too quickly. So it's not. A Marvel show. It's not um, The Boys, uh, which is also on Amazon Prime. It's very grounded in reality. Right. Oh, and then you learn these films and the mystery of these films, and you don't learn who the the quote unquote man in the high castle is until the very end of the first season. And it, I just thought that form of storytelling was so unique. Well, uh, an interesting aspect of that, um, the alt world concept. Uh, was something that Philip K. Dick was developing uh, in in a planned sequel to to the book, um, to, to his book back in the late seventies. But according to Issa Issa Dick Hackett, 
his daughter and the executive producer of the series and and the person who oversees the the PKD estate. Mm-hmm. Her dad found it so depressing to revisit the the whole Nazi aspect, you know, victorious Nazi regime, that he kind of shelved the book. He just couldn't tackle it, um, and so he put it aside. And then when they tackled the book, which the beginning, it was originally going to be uh, a, t- a mini series for sci-fi. Coincidentally enough, uh, years back, then they tried for for you know maybe a movie, but then they went back to a series. I think for the BBC. Uh, it, it was in development for a long time, and then Amazon came along. Wanted to do was focus on less so on that. So once he left after season one, um, then they um, they decided to explore the alt worlds and and go into more science fiction um, direction at the end of season two and into season three. That was really where you started to see it. Season three, where they really went full bore into that. So. I I don't believe that if Frank Spotnitz would have stayed on the show, gone that heavy into that. Mm. That's my personal belief, just from the conversations that I had. Um, but having seen him go in that direction, I kind of enjoyed it. I thought they did a very smart explanation of the alt worlds concept. Uh, myself, I know that some fans out there, uh, and and this show has really devoted fans. I don't know if you've de- delved into the social media high castle. They're really passionate about it. Um, and I don't think everyone loves season four because I think they kind of wanted another season to stretch things out. Um, but I really enjoyed how they explained and delved into the uh, sci-fi aspects of the alt worlds. You know, it's funny that you say that because I never really caught on to the social media art aspect of it because I'm a cord cutter and I watch things at my leisure. And Man in the High Castle was... It's not the thing where once you start it, I get so engrossed, but I don't start a season until I know I have the time to commit to it. So I didn't catch it in real time. And it's the one thing I think lacks, you know, that's one thing that Curb Your Enthusiasm has an advantage of or, or Homeland has an advantage of because the episodes come out weekly. Um, but the one aspect of season four, if I had a, had a gripe, is I don't understand why Juliana Crane goes back. I, it, it makes no sense to me. She successfully gets over to the world where America wins World War II, and she decides to go back. What, what kind of a dummy would you be? Like, there's no reason for that, and she sets herself up for such torture. I didn't understand that. I think it, 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 it's uh, a desire to help her friends that are still back there suffering. It shows the selflessness of the character. You know, there was a lot of upheaval behind the scenes. And the actors really had to take greater control over their characters than they normally get on a show. Um, everyone, on the, every actor on the show that I talked to has such love and affection for their character that I was very impressed by. But I think Juliana as, as a character, I think Alexa Dallas played her with a lot of and empathy. And I think she was not the kind of person who was just looking, oh, okay, I'm free, you know, screw everyone else. Remember, she, you know, she was very close with, with, with uh, Frank Frank. And she didn't want to leave him there and everyone else there. Plus, I think she also wanted to get justice. And I think she knew that something had to be done about the, the, the Japanese and, and, and the Nazi uh, takeover in the U.S., which had basically raised an entire generation under, under their... You know, she's one of the main heroes of the, of the show. You wouldn't be much of a hero 
I said, well, you know what? They're all screwed. But me, I'm sitting pretty here. We won the war in this world. I'll stay here. So I didn't have a problem with her going back. Before we get back to the show, I just want to tell you about a very cool announcement that was recently made about the Hall of Justice. We are so excited that this show is now available to stream free on Spotify. Spotify, folks, that is the what the young kids are using. Spotify is something my kids use. If you haven't tried listening there yet, it's it's a downloadable app. You can use Spotify on any device, iPhone, Samsung, Android, whatever you want to do. It's a great listening experience. You go straight from listening to music. You can listen to Prince. You can listen to superhero songs. You know the kind of stuff I listen to. And then switch right over to this podcast in the very same app. Just search for The Hall of Justice on Spotify and start listening free. It's totally free, even if you're not a premium member. We're excited that there are new listeners that are going to find this show, and I'm so grateful for everybody that subscribes, listens, rates, and reviews. The Hall of Justice is now on Spotify. Now back to the show. Justice and peace for all mankind. Back here, modern technology sometimes fails us. Uh, Mike Avila is still with us, but we had to pop him on the phone uh, because I couldn't edit as much as I <laughs> could. Um, it was it was breaking my heart. Uh, for those of you who are still with us that haven't seen the show, um, basically what happens is FDR gets assassinated and the Germans drop an atomic bomb on Washington, D.C., and the Nazis take over the eastern portion of what was the United States uh, and Japan captures the Western portion and the capital is San Francisco. That's a big thing. And then there's a neutral zone where nobody seems to have any laws. Um, and that's like the Rocky mountain areas, Colorado, Wyoming area. And that's kind of established. And that's another thing I want to give them a lot of credit to. And you probably have a, a great deal of background, the world building, you know, we referenced it in the beginning, just this idea that they established these worlds and so much use of a swastika, which was out of this world. I mean, plus the timeline, like, yeah, a lot of TV shows can be set in the past. Mad Men did a great job. This show sure. just does it like times 11. Oh, yeah. No, absolutely. I think the world building in this show is second to none. Quick aside, the that you mentioned the assassination of FDR. Uh, that's the divergent point in this world that, you know, set the domino effect of, you know, the, the Nazis and the Japanese winning the war. Uh, that was based on a real-life assassination attempt on, on Roosevelt that happened in 1933 uh, here in Miami, Florida, where, where I live, in Bayfront Park. Uh, he survived uh, that because the, the guy missed. Um, and it was interesting to me, they, they mentioned almost as a, as, a, as a quick aside in the show, and I remembered it from the book, and then I researched it, and I was like, holy crap, like, I thought they just kind of made it up. And then I researched, and I was like, wow, this, like, legitimately could have happened. I mean, I, and I found that divergent point that they chose uh, rather interesting because it was a gradual effect. But, no, getting to your, your, your point, the, the world building on the show is phenomenal. And it was also something that I, I really focused on when I was doing the book because I wanted to make sure that, you know, that the people behind the scenes, the, the production designers and the props people 
uh, were, you know, were all in sync, and they really were. Um, I had some of them tell me, actually Rufus Sewell told me that you have no idea how many swastikas were on the set that you didn't even see um, for the scenes uh, with his character. Like the their home, the, the Smith home, had swastikas emblazoned and engraved uh, in the kitchen cabinets and on the silverware, stuff that you would yeah, never see yeah. on television, but they were there. Like it was, he goes, we, we'd be there in between takes, and and and, and me and Shayla Horsdahl would be talking with each other, and we'd say, "Can you believe this? They're freaking swastikas here on the forks that nobody's gonna see, but they're in the drawers." That's how far into the, you know, they went to make sure that everything was was accurate to the story they were trying to tell. How? much um i don't want to say opposition because i don't think they did it poorly but how much angst was there when the creators of the show decide to do a show that is going to be so heavily in nazis i mean that is a bad word in the in the world and i i said to a lot of people um if you're jewish you sh- you need to watch this show I, I said that to people. I said, if you're not a sci-fi fan, like I, I, I dived into it only, or I dove into it. Let me use English. The, this idea that I was in, impressed by the show because of the drama aspect, but season one is literally like, you don't, I don't think anything happens. It's just establishing who these re- rebels are, who, what the Japanese are, who, mm-hmm. um, you know, you know who the 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 trade minister is I, again the names everybody i remember john smith that's about it and 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 then the nazi world and and all of that stuff with the sun and 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 everything that grew from that and if you were going to say after season 1 what's the man in the high castle about it's literally just about another world and that's enough to get through 10 episodes because this thing about the film and the newsreel and, and, and just finding these old films, how that happened, I don't think I needed to know that. And I, that's the testament to the show. You go through an entire season not knowing where those films come from, and you don't need to know because that's not what the show's hanging on. Right. Well, I also like that they didn't hang the, 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 the series on showing the, you know, how the U.S. lost the war. They did that in the credits. They did that in the opening credits, right? And then what they do is they they throw the occasional flashback sequences that explain how certain characters, specifically John Smith, end up becoming uh, a Nazi because you know he was he, he was an American. He was a Midwestern Midwestern American from Cincinnati who who who's who's fighting uh, for the U.S. in World War II, and then they lost. And then he made the decision to. To, to join the, the Nazi party, uh, basically to save his family, right? I, I like how they showed um, it wasn't about somebody making a purely evil decision. It was about a practical decision to save their own skin and their family's skin. Um, there's a lot of shades of gray there in, in, in detailing the, the, the evil of the, of, of the Nazi regime. Um, you know, and it, it becomes clear by season two that the Japanese – um, side is is much more conflicted about it. Um, you, you can see it in in the color in in, in, the, in the, the color scheme of the scenes of uh, the east and the west coast. Right, the east is sleek, um, po- powerful, dark, 
grays, you know, um, you see the, the West Coast, the production design is much more run down um, and, mm. and decaying, showing that the Japanese don't have the resources that the Nazis have, that, there's, that in their relationship, there's clearly a, a dominant partner, and that's the, that's the Germans. They're, they're the ones in control, and the Japanese know it. Inspector Kido absolutely knows it, which is why he works um, in season one to, 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 help, to help, you know, eventually helps stop the, you know, potential nuclear information from getting out there because he knows, he knows that the Japanese cannot win a nuclear war with, with the Germans if it comes to that, and it's eventually coming to. They're in the middle of their own Cold, cold War, right? So I, I found that very interesting. And, I, and I, you mentioned earlier that, people, that Jewish people should watch the show. I, I agree. I mean, I, I'm married to, to a Jewish woman, and my, my kids go to Jewish school. Um, I, I think it's, it's very important to see it because in the last couple of years with the, the, the political upheaval we've had here, it's only made the man in the high castle more more relevant and, and more current. And I think the show kind of stumbled onto that just through, you know, unfortunate coincidence about what happened in 2016 and then and everything that came after. And when the, sh- when the showrunners changed, I think the writers kind of, I don't know if they adapted what they were doing, but it, it just, what, what they were doing ended up dovetailing um, quite accurately with, with, with the current sentiment here in, in, in America that I think people who watch the show can relate to and, and, and get a sense. Because I think 10 years ago, people said, this is never going to happen. Not if, if the Nazis would have won the war, we would have been fighting in the revolution. To me, the most radical thing in the show was that there wasn't a resistance. When the show starts, there is no resistance. There's a couple of guys in a truck, you know, an underground resistance that's kind of, you know, pathetic if you think about it, right? It takes several seasons for a real resistance to build up, and that's because that's what happened. For 20 years, people get tired of fighting. People just start thinking, you know what? I'm tired. I just want to go work eight hours a day, eat, take care of my family, enough war, right? That's, it's just what happens. And I think that was the most radical aspect of the show to me. Um, the interpersonal characters that are kind of side arcs. First of all, they wrapped all of them up. Uh, Robert Childen, I, I hope, again, I'm saying his name right, yep. played by Brennan Brown. Um, he goes through highs and lows and highs and lows. And, you know, he's, a, he's an antique. He owns an antique shop uh, in, in the 60s in, in the Japanese, you know, states or colonies, whatever they're called. And you see his arc and then he gets captured. And so many times you think he's going to die. Um, <laughs> so many times. And I, I find that to be incredible. Uh, how often um, these guys arcs because they're, it, it, it's not, it's not gratuitously violent, but there's a big share of violence and a big share of deaths. I didn't think uh, what's his face. Blake would, would, would die. I didn't think, you know, I thought he was going to have a long arc and, you know, he finds out <laughs> he's a Nazi spy and they kill him out of nowhere in the bathroom. And I'm thinking to myself, if you didn't watch the show, you have no idea what I'm talking about. But I, if, if you see all these things, these arcs, I, I just I was amazed by how much detail they had. And that's why I said the point that I made in the beginning, which is the main plot, the existence of these other worlds 
is such a third wing of this character. Like each one of these characters arc is what the show is truly about. Sure. Well, children is, it's a great character in many ways. I mean, I, I'm a big, big fan of, of children's character. I, I think he showed a certain practicality to, to the world of the high castle that there would be people like that who just kind of fall in between the cracks and figure out ways to survive without taking sides. Um, I also thought it was an interesting way to show a uh, little historical bits and things. And I, I thought the, some of the details they include there, like, you know, uh, Western memorabilia and John Wayne, like basically American pop culture ended around 1943, right? 41. Um, so I thought that was fascinating. And I, I liked how they made that a key part of a children's role, which is kind of showing where certain things um, kind of just came to a halt. There was no fifties uh, uh, pop culture in, in America in the world of the high castle because America pretty much ceased to exist. And I, I thought that was pretty, um, I thought it was a pretty interesting way. Plus I, I thought his, his uh, store and apartment were one of the best sets in the entire uh, show because you're always looking around to see what things crazy. you see in the background. Yeah, that was, that was really impressive. I, I, I it's really impressive folks. Again, we're not selling this. Like I'm going to try, I'm going to put a link to the book. I'm not putting a link to the DVD and you get Amazon prime because you like the shipping. You don't buy it for this, but this is a bonus. I mean, <laughs> I, I, the I mean, is nice. The free shipping is nice. Isn't it? Right. Right. And this is, this is a bonus. I mean, the, the way this comes out, um, so many of these characters, what about, uh, Tagomi, uh, the trade minister? Um, I didn't understand how, why they killed him the way they did. Did, did that actor not want to be in the show anymore? Is that how this all went? Because I thought he was going to be the culmination of the whole thing. And that everything I... that was leading to it, they only brought yeah. Emperor and the Emperor's wife in there uh, because Tagomi wasn't there. He's the guy. And he, of all people, he mastered the ability to travel between the worlds. I honestly don't know why he wasn't in season four. I'm I've never gotten an answer on that, um, being perfectly honest with you. Um, he was literally the only major person on the show that I didn't interview for the book. I, I interview a lot of people for the book. Oh, I'm sure. Um, I'll be honest, I, I, I never got an answer on that. I, I'm assuming he just contract negotiations, something rather mundane. Everyone loved him on the show, by the way. Alexa Davalos just raved uh, about him and, and, and clearly had a lot of affection. Um, Joel De La Fuente, who plays uh, Inspector Keto, and is probably my favorite person on the show. Um, really? Loved him to death, yeah. Yeah, oh, I thought Joel did a fantastic job with, with Keto. Um, he was and, ruthless. In the, hands of a lesser actor, in the hands of a lesser actor, that character wouldn't have been as, as nuanced as he was. But, um, you know, Kari Hiroyuki Tagawa, who played Tagomi, is mm -hmm. such a great actor. Um, and I think he was somewhat of a mentor to people like uh, uh, Alexa and, and others. But, you know, Tagumi was the heart and soul of the show, just as he is in the book. He's a very key figure. Um, it's a mystery to me. One day somebody's going to tell me. Um, I, I, I assume it's something rather um, standard and nothing very dramatic. Um, because you got to understand, like for the book, I even talked to Frank Spotnitz, 
who was happy to talk to me, even though he left the show after the first season. And every, you know, he said Dick Hackett was was happy to 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 talk with him to have him cooperate with the book. So I, I don't really think it was something controversial, um, mm. but I hope to find out eventually because I think they did have to change some of their storyline to accommodate his absence. Yeah, it, it has to be. I mean, I mean, it's just it's easy to to connect the dots. If only I had the guy who wrote the book about the show. Um, <laughs> couldn't couldn't resist. Um, it, it's so interesting, uh, keto. And I I just did you know I did very, a little bit of reading, um, you know after I while I was watching the show. But the guy who plays keto is is not he's not Chinese. No, uh, he's uh, not he's not he's Filipino. not. Chi- Oh, hold on, hold on. He's not Japanese. Uh, you know, he's 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 American. <laughs> like he he plays and, and he I guess he's Filipino descent, so he look he can pull off being Japanese, but oh my god, that accent. And when they speak Japanese to each other, that is authentic. And I that's more than an American guy doing a British accent. You know what I mean? Like that's that there's a lot of detail to that that they Maybe a Japanese person would disagree, but I, I was I was convinced he was Japanese. Huh. Well, you know it's funny. He, he, he was a, a big fan of the glasses. The glasses really helped him get into character to the point that he fought for that prop to be used. Uh, after, you know, after the uh, the pilot, um, because he felt it really helped him get into his character and to really capture, and he felt it just changed him. Hmm. Physically, it was very interesting, um, and and he actually like you know argued forcefully with Frank Spotnitz to to keep them because Spotnitz didn't want to have oh look the stereotypical uh, a Japanese guy who's the villain um, wearing glasses he he was trying to avoid any kind of stereotypical act like that but Joel convinced him that no no this is not that at all this is something that will will really help me get into my character much easier um, and I I agree. I think by the end of the show, he was the most important character because he showed the conflict oh, of, yeah. of the occupation. And, you know, you mentioned earlier that horrible scene when Frank Frank's uh, sister and her kids are, are killed. They're, you know, they're, oh, they're gassed in that room in that Mer- horrible scene. Mercilessly. Um, oh, my God. It was so awful. A, a horrible scene, right? One of the most horrible things I've ever seen on television show. Um, especially because you don't really see it, right? And then what happens in season, you know, the final season, when the uh, the uh, the Americans who break in after after the uh, the BCR uh, basically defeat the Japanese army and and, and institute a takeover of the of, of San Francisco, they break into the headquarters and they lock Kido in that same room and he, it takes him a minute to realize and you can see it in his face. And he's like, Oh, and he looks up at the ceiling and he sees the vents where the gas comes in and <sighs> he sees that. And I love how they, they brought it back full circle without him saying yep. a word because that <sighs> scene defined him instantly. Right. Except it didn't. By the time you got to see him four, you saw a much different version. And you saw that he wasn't just a cardboard villain. He was a guy who did horrible things, horrible, terrible things in service of the empire. Right. And by the fourth season, he was questioning his blind loyalty. Right. It's 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 service service to your country. And 
you know, yep. people have to do very harsh, harsh things. Another arc that I thought was just fascinating was John Smith's arc, but really his son, Thomas. Um, I didn't know where that was going. <laughs> I, he was a <laughs> member of the Hitler Youth. And then all of a sudden, I, I, you, you would know better than me, either two, is it two where they reveal that he has something wrong with him? And it's a form of muscular dystrophy, but I don't even know if they actually ever say the words muscular dystrophy. Um, and he could have lived a very fine life uh, with that ailment. I mean, there are people with muscular dystrophy that are alive and listening to this podcast. And the fact of the matter is, is that in the Nazi world, that's not allowed. And sure. The, the the angst that they have to go through and the way they have to do it and what he was going to face. and Oh, my God. It is heart-wrenching. And, I, I mean, just the word euthanized. And then how they play it up and make him a hero and, and, and change this, the rhetoric around. I mean, so in-depth. Again, notice, we are not talking about the films. The films are the other thing, and they did a remarkable job so that when you're watching uh, John Smith and his wife, who, you know, eventually she bails, she goes to the, the neutral zone, then she comes back, Helen, and she's played brilliantly. I, I, I mean, I'm, I'm assuming you like these people. Uh, Rachel Nichols was, was great. And all of these people come in, and the, the sheer drama that they brought out, again, just watch this show and learn who these people are and you'll be entranced. I, 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 I was blown yeah. away. I was blown away. I, I really, I enjoyed Thomas Smith's uh, story too and how he became this ultimately tragic figure because he was so brainwashed by the Nazi ideology that he sacrificed himself, you know, in honor of the, of the Nazis. And then they turned him into this folk hero um, and you, 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 you had a sense that, boy, this is something that the family's not going to come back from. And ultimately, that is what destroyed the Smith family was Thomas's death and how Helen realized, wow, I mean, we don't matter. It's all, you, you know, our son was ill. They, they, they didn't care about trying to, to save you. You're, you're part of the, the weak. And then it takes you back to that, you know, that scene in the pilot where they're burning the, the bodies of the old and the decrepit. And the, the guy just says it as a, as an oh, by the way, like 20 years after the war, people in America are just kind of blasé about the old and the infirm being, you know, killed and having, having their bodies burned because, oh, they're useless. Get rid of them. I mean, it, it's horrible. And that is what set in motion the slow demise of John Smith on the show because the loss of their son affected him much more than he thought. And what little was left of his humanity, I think, really started to to die then. And then it it tore him and his wife apart. They were close. They were they were partners. They were very close. She was all in on it, right? I mean, if you saw season four, you know that she's the reason why they joined the the Nazi regime. Yeah. You said you got to do it to save our family. I thought that was a nice touch, by the way. That they didn't a flashback scene. Yeah, the the flashback. Yeah, they didn't make the wife. Oh, the, the the poor wife. In, in other shows, I think they they would have gone the lazy route. Instead, they made Helen a willing and able accomplice. And I thought that was a, a very interesting way to show that she was, in many ways, John's equal in the relationship. 
that's that's it's crazy it's such an interesting show uh such an interesting show let's let's do the the main arc um how does i I don't even know how i'm asking this how does the existence of the other worlds turn into these films and how does it happen from the book to the show to it never made sense why films would leak like was there a traveler that brought the films? Is yeah, the in... travelers brought them over. You know, they, in, in, in Philip K. Dick's book, they don't really go too much into that because that, the alt world concept is something that was determined um, in, in, in the research and the notes he was doing in, in the 70s for the proposed sequel that never happened. So in the show, it's the travelers who, who, who bring the films to um, the high castle world and spread them around. Um, people who have a certain um, ability to, to, to travel. You know, not everyone can be a traveler. And, you know, Juliana Crane, somebody said, Tagomi is one. His assistant, who had the burns on, on his arm from Hiroshima. If you paid attention in season one, you see that there. Mm. You know, so, I mean, I'm sorry, season two, you see the, the burn marks. On his, on his wrist in, in a very subtle scene. And then you realize, oh, wait, he's a traveler as well. Um, and the, the proverbial man in High Castle, played by Stephen Root, right. Abinson Hawthorne, he's the one who is, is able to discern this. So the travelers are the ones who, who, who bring the, the films across. It's, it's, it's amazing. And then ultimately, did you think... Did you, did you like the way the series ended? And did you like, was there any arc that you were unsatisfied with? I told you mine was Tagomi. Uh, I didn't, I just, that, that death just seemed so weak. I love children when he says goodbye to that, that lady, uh, his wife. Um, he says, I will find a way to see you. I believe it. He's going to find a way to see her there. That, that is a bump in the road. That's not going to be the end of the world for them. Um, Helen Smith dying on the train was crazy. I did not see that coming. Um. <laughs> I thought that was one of the greatest scenes in the show was the, the John and Helen confrontation on the train. I thought that was really a scene that they built to for four seasons. And I thought they nailed that one. I remember seeing that in an edit suite when they were working on it and I was wrapping up the book and I need to kind of see how the show ended to figure it out. So I went out to L.A., and I saw that scene without the special effects or anything around it. Oh, and it wow. was just as powerful as the finished version. And it's just as powerful as it was on the script um, th- that I read. I mean, I, I thought I thought Shayla and-, and Rufus just did a magnificent job with that because that scene was something that we need to see. Like Helen basically accepting responsibility and being accountable for what she did, you know, when, and then in the scene with her daughter, when she admitted it, she goes, you shouldn't have to be like us. You know, we failed you. And then she goes and she tells, you know, John, we should, we, we don't deserve to have kids in this world. I don't want to bring Thomas over here. He deserves to stay over there with, 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 with the better versions of us, as opposed to us. You know, she realized that, and John couldn't see that. John was too far gone. He was like, he didn't know how to make things stop. He was already getting ready to institute another final solution, right? To get rid of the remaining minorities and resistors and, 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 and anyone else who was against the Nazi ideology in the high castle world. 
So to me, that scene was the perfect way to end that. Unsatisfying arc, I would have liked to... I would have liked to see more from the, from the Jewish settlements in the mm. neutral zone, uh, Sabra. I would have liked to have seen them like be that. a bit yeah. more active in the, in the resistance. I, I, I know that they said that our resistance is just surviving. You know, Jewish people, as we, if we survive, that's our victory. Right. right. And, I, and I understand that with the, with the black communist revolution taking a prominent role in season four, that there just was not enough landscape. I would have liked to see more of that. Um, and I actually, I kind of would like to see more with Juliana. Actually, I would I, I would have liked to. She was involved, but I'm not sure. I, I would thought, have liked yeah, seen, she became I would a back. Have liked to yeah. be a bit more prominent. Yeah, she person. she retreats in the in the later year, uh, the last the last season. She doesn't have the same impact that she does in the beginning. You know, she's obviously you introduce this woman, uh, Juliana Crane. Her sister is killed and gives her this film and says take this <laughs> and that's it and you immediately are engrossed in her world and her journey to meeting um arvidson to you know to the man in the high castle to doing all these things and establishing the relationship to meeting thomas and uh, it just every everything that she does everything in her arc and then i again i i go back i didn't understand she got to the other world and i'm sorry i just I'll say this. And again, if you're listening to this podcast in the future, if you have the opportunity, and again, this is not our worlds because we have families and we have relatives and we're in the United States of America and we have freedom. Yeah, we have political issues, but we are, we are in the United States of America. If you are hunted and alone and everyone that's ever been close to you has been killed and you have a way to get out and start another life, you take that chance and she did it and I applauded that and I never wanted to see her again. But remember, she was I, also I the one who, who fought with Frank. She, 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 she fought with Frank early on about just, you know, keeping your head down and, and staying out of trouble. That just wasn't who Juliana was. And I thought they were very consistent with that. And, after, and I, I after the fourth that. time she almost loses her life, then that changes. <laughs> but that's what makes it one of the heroes of the story. That's what makes you one of the heroes of the story. That, I, I've got no problem with her diving back into it. I mean, look, I'll say this, and obviously I'm a little biased because I'm close to the project, um, and I genuinely sure. enjoy talking with, with a lot of the people that I did. There they were some really good folks that work with, uh, on this show, in front of and behind the camera. But um, ending a show is hard. Ending a show like this in 10 episodes without giving a nice, quick, you know, wrap up where you put a bow on it and you say, oh, look, good one, evil's down. I like that they didn't do that. I like that they made it um, ambiguous. And look, things are going to change. And to me, I saw that ending as hope, as like things are going to change slowly now. Um, and maybe if they ever do a reun- you know, reunion or, 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 or a 10th anniversary film, they'll talk about how uh, a newly united uh, America is now going to fight um, Germany because – that's essentially what they're hinting at with Whitcroft, uh, Johnson's mm-hmm. number two, taking over and calling off the attack on the BCR, right? I, I like right. that they didn't you know, wrap it up as a total victory. Yay, America's back. Because no, because there's hundreds of people who decided to join the Nazis for 20 years, and you have to, you have to account for that. Like, it's a really complicated cleanup process. 
You know, not clean up on L10. Like, how do you collect and clean up this huge problem? So, I, I, me personally, I, I can't see how they could have done uh, a, a more decisive conclusion than that. And I'm kind of glad they did it. I, I think people overestimate that. I don't need a show to end and know, okay, the story's over. I'd like to know that, oh, maybe you and I can de- debate where we think a, a, a fictional season five will go, a mm. mythical season five will go. You know, what direction? I bet you we'll disagree on it. And that's okay. I kind of right. like that speculation. Yeah, I, I, I kind of see that, that, that as well. Um, tell me something about the series for somebody who watched it that's listening to this show that saw everything and is not completely lost. Because like I said, if you are expecting uh, this to sound like our Spider-Man reviews, this is going to sound very different. Um, <laughs> the t- Tell me something from your research and something about the show that people, there's no way you could know unless you read your book. Uh, the Just dangle the, the carrot. You- dangle the carrot so we all buy it. Pay attention to the medals that the the Germans and the and the Japanese are 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 wearing, and you'll find out where they came from and what battles and whatnot. Because there's a story behind those. They didn't just make it up. Really? And they, I'm telling you, the, the world building on this show was next level. It was really really interesting. How that's they so did crazy. that? Crazy. That's so crazy. It's 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 really yeah. interesting. Um. It, it's crazy. There's a comic book. It reminded me of a comic book that I read, but the later seasons, not the beginning seasons, because there's nothing comic booky about the beginning seasons. But at the end, um, there's a comic book called The Nail. Have you ever seen that that uh, comic book? It's a. It's I've a heard DC of it. I've never book. read it though. So there's a book called The Nail, and basically what happens is it's the story of of the, all the DC heroes. The difference is the Kents are in a uh, in the in the in the pickup truck and they're driving along the road and they're about to see the rocket and they run over a nail and they get a flat and Martha says, let's not go into town today. We're, you know, let's just, let's just stay home. This is, this is the fates telling us we're, you know, nothing's good. Nothing good's going to come from that. And so they turn around and they go home and they miss the rocket. And then you fast forward 30 years and you see what's happened. You know what I mean? And I that's what I thought was the neatest part of this whole thing in that in The Man in the High Castle, once you see the other world, it's not like you can emulate it. You couldn't take that world. And that's what the point that made me think of it that you made, which is you take this whole thing and so much has happened. So much time has taken place from the moment World War II to, to the moment of FDR's assassination to the losing of, of the war to now so much has happened you can't just go backwards i couldn't see this world fast forward 50 years and it to look like our world i don't think you could get there does that make sense it totally makes sense yeah no i i i, I see your point and i agree with it and that's the that and that you know the end of the nail you know the the other heroes find this guy and they decide to make him you know they they convince him to become superman and that's that's the nail. You know, he doesn't have the Kents. And because you don't have basically the 50s and the 60s, you don't have that. You couldn't go to 1975 and all of a sudden you're going to have, you know, um, the same history. And that that's what I think the coolest thing about the man in the high castle is, is because you get engrossed in their world, but not their timeline. 
like obviously they don't have technology and they don't have computers and they don't have all these things but it's pretty sci-fi to be able to go in between worlds and to have those machines and things like that you kind of forget that you're in the 50s and 60s don't you think yeah you do yeah you do and they, and they were very careful to to keep technology consistent with what might have developed if the Germans had taken over cuz remember they were they were highly advanced scientifically all right two quick things before we uh, wrap this puppy up uh, the theme song. What can you tell me about it? It's it's eerie. It was composed by uh, uh, a music uh, production house um, that also did the uh, the opening credits, and they were the hardest people to track down for for the book. I couldn't reach them. Nobody could get out. knew knew where the guy was. Like it was impossible. <laughs> he stopped working for the company. We couldn't find him at all. It was stunning that I couldn't reach that person. It was it was absolutely incredible because I was like I would have done a bigger section on it. Because the, the opening credits and that version of Edelweiss are so important to getting you instantly into the world of the High Castle. Um, yeah. th- that, that's what I remember the most about that. Great song, incredible opening credits, impossible guy to find. I just, <laughs> I just downloaded it off iTunes. I, it, it's, it, it's an eerie, eerie um, song. It, it, it's spooky. Uh, and then lastly, on your book... Um, was it a conscious decision not to do what the show did? Because in all the artwork for the show, you see the swastikas and you see the Japanese flag and all those things. Right. And, and you skip, you, you, did, we'll end it with, we'll, well, I will say this, and I'm totally going to pass the buck on this. I had nothing to do with that decision and neither uh-huh. did Amazon or the show's producer. That was uh, the publisher, Titan Publishing, who, who, you know, they're, the book was being published in Europe as well as other parts of the world. And the publisher tells me that there are certain publishing laws in, in Europe that make it illegal to show symbols of hate like swastikas in there. And I think hmm. to avoid any issues, they decided to take those out. Would I have made that decision? Probably not. And obviously there's a lot of fans who aren't happy about this. If you read some of the reviews in the book, that's, that's like a, a big complaint. I'm going. I'm, I'm going to go ahead and say I had nothing to do with that, um, but those are decisions made by people on the publishing side um, to be cautious about uh, adhering to European publishing laws. Got it. Got it. Hey, I asked the question. I took a shot. Yeah. Um, Mike, how can people find you online? We're going to put a link to the Amazon. Uh, we'll put an Amazon sure. link to the to the uh, to the book in Thank the you. show notes. But uh, how can people find you if they if they saw the show and they, you know they that Everett guy didn't do it justice, I gotta ask you this: like, how can they find you online? Sure, I mean I'm on Twitter and Instagram pretty actively uh, at Mike Abela, uh, and I'm also on Facebook under Michael Abela. But usually Twitter and Instagram will get you uh, very quick uh, responses, and I'm happy to discuss any aspect of the book of the show with with fans. I, like I said, it's easy to write a book like this when you like the show, and I really like the show. It's a lot of fun. It's a, it's it's really really fun. Um, thanks thanks for doing this. I really appreciate it, and I hope I hope the audience has enjoyed it as much as I have. Hey, my my pleasure, man. Thanks for thanks for uh, inviting me on. I say this I say this usually on uh, my other podcast called Sports with Friends, but I'll say it for here. So you know, Mike's online. Uh, if there's anything that you have uh, that you didn't that, you, that any questions you have or anything you disagreed with. Uh, with the content of this podcast, do me a favor, reach out to Mike directly and leave me the hell out of it. Uh, <laughs> okay. 
It's an old, right. it's an old hey, bit. Thanks for having me on, man. <laughs> Thank, thanks to Mike Avila. Uh, we'll see you next week. More excitement here in the month of March uh, here on the Hall of Justice. We'll see you next week. Believe it or not, I'm walking on it.